0: Thank you. Police emergency. What's your location?
1: Oh, good morning,
0: Brookfield. Whereabouts in Brookfield, sir?
1: Uh, Five nine three Brookfield Road. Brookfield. And what's happening there? Um, I don't want to be alarmed, so I tried the one three one number, but um, just went on forever. Yep. My, my wife isn't home. Um, and, um, I don't know where she is. Okay. When did you last see her, sir? Um, last night when we were at the bed. And I got up this morning and she, she wasn't there. And that's not unusual. She, she often goes for a walk in the morning. Yep. Um, I've texted her and called her a number of times. I think she has her phone with her. Yep. Um, but, uh, and...
0: What time does um, she normally get back when she goes for a walk? Well, this morning,
1: she, she was planning to... She has a seminar in the city, so she was planning to leave by, you know, around 7. And, okay.
0: Um,
1: she's not back Home yet. Okay, alright. And what's so your wife? I'm, I'm now driving the streets. My my father's come over and to look after my children. Yeah,
0: okay. So what was what's your name first of all? I'm
1: sorry. Um Jared G E R A R D.
0: And your last name, Jared?
1: B-A-D-E-N yep. Clay B A D E N. Yep. Hyphen C L A Y.
0: And what's your wife's name? Alison with 12. And same surname? Okay, and how old is Alison?
1: 44.
0: Okay, so you didn't see her before she got, got up this morning, so... No. Okay, all right. And what's her mobile number?
1: 0401. Yep. 149. Yep.
0: 013. 013, okay. All right, and how tall is your wife? Um... About,
1: um... About five, six, something like that, I think.
0: And what colour hair has she got?
1: (laughs) She (laughs) just (laughs) had it done last night. It's sort of a blondy, browny, reddish sort of look.
0: Yep. And how long is it?
1: Uh, Shoulder length. Shoulder length.
0: Okay. What I'll do, I'm going to put a broadcast on for the police to keep a lookout for your wife. Um, Are you going to go back home? Uh, Because we'll get police to come and see you. Uh, I need
1: to go home and get the kids ready for.
0: Yep. All right, Jared. I'll get police to come and see you. Okay. What's the best contact number for you?
1: Zero four hundred. Yep. Four five six. Yep.
0: Okay. Just give us a call back if she hasn't returned before police get there. Okay. All right. Thanks, Jared. Bye bye.
2: Hi guys, welcome to the True Crime Sisters podcast. Thanks for tuning in again this week. We've had a a lot of really nice supportive comments over the last week, which has been amazing. So thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Your kind words have been awesome. Um, just to let you know that if you do want to hear extra episodes from us, we now have two full bonus episodes available on our Patreon. You can sign up there for as little as $1 a month. And on that note, just a quick shout out to our newest Patreon supporters, Mallory and Maya. Thank you for joining. The episodes we have on our Patreon at the moment are the Diane Schuler case, which was released in September. And our October Patreon episode is about Susan Powell. So they're two very sad but interesting cases. So we do venture outside of Australia and New Zealand for our Patreon episodes and you can find them at www.patreon.com slash truecrimesisters.
3: You can also support the show by leaving us a review on iTunes or joining us on social media. We're on all the usual platforms. So with that all out of the way, let's move on to this week's case. Today we are discussing the case of Alison Baden-Clay, which is a case I'm sure many of our Australian listeners are familiar with. In 2012, the whole of Australia held its breath, waiting to hear what had happened to beautiful mother of three, Alison Baden Clay. On the morning of the 20th of April, 2012, Gerard Baden Clay placed a call
2: to Triple Zero to report his wife missing. Before we get too far into this episode, we just wanted to tell you a little bit about who Alison was as a person before we get swept up in what actually happened to her. Alison was a high achiever. She had excelled at ballet in her youth and had gone on to teach dance classes too. She spoke two languages and studied psychology in university. When asked to describe herself, the first thing she said was, I am a mother of three girls, 10, 8, and five. This choice of words was telling.
3: Being a mother was the most important thing to Alison and all those that loved her described her as the most gorgeous mother, caring, kind and completely devoted to her daughters. Alison had high expectations of herself and put others first often. She sounds like such a lovely lady, and we thought it was important to mention that because often her story is dominated by the monster who took her life. And I really did find that in my research. There was just It was all about him. I'm pretty sure one of the episodes I watched, I think I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was literally called Jared
2: Baden Clay and that was the crimes that shook Australia. Yeah,
3: and I just didn't want to hear about Him. him. No, I wanted to hear more about her and some of the other um, things that I watched really did cover her and she just sounds like a beautiful, loving yeah. mother. And the hardest thing is that it seems like she
2: didn't know that. She didn't yeah, know that she, she was amazing. Like,
3: well, I think he definitely made her feel like that. Yeah. He was one of those controlling men that we've spoken about in the past. And,
2: yeah, yeah. and she
3: was beautiful as well. Like, oh, gorgeous. She actually won Miss Brisbane. Oh, I
2: didn't know that. Didn't you? Yeah. No, I had no she idea. She was
3: Miss Brisbane at one point. I can see why. Well, she's, yeah, stunning. Yeah.
2: So, as you he heard, Jared reported that he had woken up to find his wife missing from the home. He explained to the operator that it wasn't out of the ordinary for Allison to get up early and go for a walk around the suburb of Brookfield, where the couple lived with their three daughters. By 6:30 a.m., Jared had grown concerned about Allison's whereabouts. She should have been home getting ready for a work conference that she was attending that day. Jared sent his wife a text
3: message that said, "Good morning. How are you? Hope you slept well. None of the girls are up yet." A phone call and another text with no response from Allison was what prompted him to call the police to report her missing. As Harry mentioned, the couple lived in Brookfield in Brisbane, Queensland. Brookfield is a semi-rural, affluent suburb that is approximately 13 kilometres from the Brisbane CBD. It has been described as the country lifestyle with the convenience of the city and is reportedly a great place to bring up children. Safe, great schools and very little crime. Brookfield ticked all the boxes for a young family and this was why the Baden Clay family decided to settle there. They were well known in the Brookfield community.
2: Allison Dicky met Jared Baden Clay while they both worked at Flight Centre in George Street, Brisbane. They were friends first, but after some time, a spark developed between them, and they began dating. Reportedly, Jared thought that Allison was absolutely beautiful, and he was taken with her. He knew she was the one. Despite his connection with Allison, he didn't really connect with her family or friends. In 1996, Jared proposed to Alison at a replica of the Eiffel Tower in Brisbane. The excited couple drove down the coast to let Alison's parents, Priscilla and Jeff Dickey, know the exciting news. So they have a replica of the Eiffel Tower? Yeah.
3: In Brisbane? <laughs> Apparently. Oh, cool. Yeah. In 1997, the couple was married. And if you've seen the pictures, Alison is absolutely stunning. We'll put the picture on Instagram. She was just a beautiful woman. After the wedding, the couple decided to go on a long holiday, visiting Kuala Lumpur, the Maldives, Spain, Turkey and Morocco. During the trip, while the couple was in South America, there was a bump in the road. Alison developed strong anxiety and depression after being prescribed anti-malaria medication, Larium. At that point, she was struggling to function normally and was having extreme mood swings. Gerald reported that it was from this point that the marriage began to change. I've actually heard of this because I've travelled through... Thailand and Mm -hmm. Southeast Asia and um, there was some people that I was traveling with that were that had had that reaction not the depression actually not that reaction sorry but they had I think one of them went into a psychosis and was like was thinking that things were happening to them like I can't really remember the full story but there's it must be a
2: side effect malaria
3: medications actually really really look into that before you take it I didn't take it due to this story that these people were telling me because I was on the medication. And then I'm like, no, I'm stopping that. So it's not just depression and anxiety. It's actually got other, like, I don't know whether that story, that, because that's all from Jared, but I'm just saying. Yeah. That, that's not an isolated
2: case there. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The couple worked and volunteered overseas, but decided to return home to start a family in the year 2000. They were doing well financially and felt ready to move to the next step of their lives. Alison felt pregnant soon after, and the couple were blessed with their first child, a girl. After their first child was born, Jared reports that Allison's depression seemed to get worse, leaving him to do 80 to 95% of the housework. Now, we can only take his word for that, and I'm not really sure how good his word is at this point, but that's what he says. So obviously we just don't know if that's the truth. It is common for women who have suffered from depression in the past to develop postnatal depression after giving birth. Allison was prescribed 100 milligrams of Zoloft to treat her depression, panic disorder, and transient suicidal thoughts. The couple went on to have
3: a second child, and Jared reports the same thing. He says that he did most of the heavy lifting during that time with bathing and feeding the kids and getting them off to bed at night. So I'm not 100% sure, but do you know, was Allison still, did, in your research, did you find, was Allison still working during this
2: time? I'm not 100% sure at this time. I know at some point they were both made redundant, but I'm not sure if when she was still working mm. while her kids were very little. Okay,
3: well, I'm not sure either. I didn't quite get that in the timeline, but I know when they were both working at Flight Centre, she was above him like they weren't just at the same level so i'm thinking i'm obviously not sure but he's acting like he's doing all the everything but potentially like she, she was, was the, the one making the money so yeah. i don't know like this is not something this isn't a fact and I, I couldn't find that particular timeline but it wouldn't surprise me if she
2: was earning yeah. the money and i yeah. actually found it weird um because this information was coming from his side yeah that he was so quick to t- say that he was doing all the heavy lifting and like i find that quite rude she's a brand new mother yeah and he's just, like, he's yeah, taking over so credit. So what if are cleaning and shit, dude? Like, yeah, once you're actually doing something to yeah. help around the house. You're the dad as well. Yeah, Like, exactly. you should
3: be cleaning and helping around yeah. the house. Even if you are doing 95%, sorry, mate, He ju- she, she just, just had a baby. The, yeah, it kind
2: of just rubbed me yeah. up the wrong way when I read yeah. that. Even
3: if she's not, like, okay, just put the, the fact that she was well above him at Flight Centre and probably earning a shitload more money than him. Put all that aside and she might not have been at work at this time. But, yeah, dude, you do put in 80%. Like, yeah, so, have a bit more
2: empathy towards your wife as yeah. well who just gave birth to your children.
3: What did you think? It was going to be just 100% your wife and you were just going to chill. During this time, it is reported that Alison was struggling. She had put on some weight, which is obviously common after having some children, and she was also doing her best to parent her children despite struggling with her depression and anxiety. The couple went on to have a third child. According to Jared, this wasn't what he wanted, but Alison wanted to try for a baby boy. Their third child was another daughter, and they were both very happy in the end to welcome their new daughter.
2: Like many couples that are raising young children, the Baden-Clays had their difficulties. Alison was, by all accounts, a beautiful and hands-on mother who adored her daughters. But she did also struggle with her self-image and didn't see herself in the same light that most of the people around her did. Jared was a successful businessman who was acquainted with people from high society in his area, reportedly. He was also a bit of a narcissist and self-obsessed by many accounts. People sometimes described him as thinking he was a cut above everyone around him. This was in part due to the fact that his grandfather founded the international scouting movement, which he was keen to tell anyone that he met. Alison's family and friends were not as keen on Jared as Jared was on himself. Yeah, I think it was like his
3: great-grandfather. great-grandfather. And that's where the Baden in his name, that was actually Maud his...
2: Baden-Powell. Or, yeah, yeah, which is
3: like, which is actually really I awesome. I know, but
2: have you heard him talking about yeah. it? I'm inserting that here because I could not stop laughing when I heard him talking about it. I actually haven't it sounds heard Sounds like the biggest narcissist. Does he? I'm inserting it.
1: Scouting is a, a global organisation which has its core fundamental in doing unto others as you'd have done unto you and leaving the world a better place than you found it. <laughs> Thank
0: you. <laughs>
1: in fact that's one of my favourite Scout laws is the Scout is courageous to have courage in the face of adversity to, to make those decisions that need to be made um, and that ability to, to move on with, with life and know that you have that self-confidence to know that you, everything's going to be alright.
3: No, it's extremely cool that his great grandfather founded the scouts. I oh, know, I just can't stand him. Okay. Can't I, stand I don't like him. the guy either, but I I would be claiming that. If my great grandfather founded the scouts. The scouts, so mate. This would be you talking.
2: The scouts is awesome.
3: At some stage the couple were made redundant by Flight Centre, and Jared saw this as the perfect opportunity to create his own business. He opened his own real estate business with Century 21 Real Estate. Initially the business was doing really well and they sold a lot of houses. At its peak, Baden-Clay's office was the number one Century 21 office in Queensland, and Jared and his business partners were paying themselves around $5,500 a week. Unfortunately,
2: this winning streak would not go on forever. In 2010 to 2011, Queensland was hit by a series of floods that affected at least 90 towns and caused approximately $2.38 billion of damage. This was, of course, a disaster for the people of Queensland. It was also a disaster for the real estate market. Worse still, this all occurred soon after the business had been moved to a large office and money became a huge issue. The real estate market had hit a wall and the business owners could no longer afford to pay themselves. Jared's business partners no longer wanted to own part of a sinking ship. They had initially bought into the business with $25,000 each and they were reportedly bought out for $1 each.
3: Wow. That's a big loss. I
2: think they stayed on as employees, and he offered them some kind of bonus if they reached a certain amount. So there was actually something in it for them. But then they weren't going to be as liable if the business failed. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah.
3: Obviously, the downfall of the business put a strain on the Baden Clay family. It was getting harder to make ends meet, and the lifestyle they had become accustomed to was no longer within reach. Jared Baden Clay began borrowing money in 2011. Three of Jared's good friends each lent him ninety thousand dollars. It's a lot of money, isn't it? So much money. With the agreement that they would be paid 10% interest on that amount with regular repayments. One of his friends was an accountant and could clearly see that the business expenses were too high and had a poor cash flow. Despite this, Jared's friends believed him when he said he had faith the business would pick up again. They all received payments for around three or four months, but after that, there was no more money received for the loans. How crazy is that? Insane. Who has $90,000?
2: I think we'll... As, it's, as we said before, he was kind of high society. Okay. As much as we know that he's not necessarily high society in reality. He was hanging with these He people. was hanging out with, like, MPs and yeah. people high up. So I'm guessing for people like that with their own businesses, yeah. maybe $90,000 isn't a lot of money, especially if you think you're going to be getting interest. interest back on that. So it wasn't just the couple's dire financial situation that was impacting their marriage and home life. Since the early days of the marriage, Jared Baden-Clay had engaged in a series of affairs – his first affair was with a colleague named Michelle, which went on for some time and ended in 2006. he began begun his most well-known affair in August 2008 with another colleague, Tony McHugh. Tony had begun working at Century 21 in 2007. She met Baden Clay when he was trying to sell a block of land for her. He eventually offered her a job and she accepted. One night when they were both working late at the office, their relationship was taken to the next level.
3: Tony McHugh thought very highly of Jared, which of course for a narcissist is a huge ego boost. She thought that he brought great energy and morale to his team and she had great admiration for him. He was flattered, and they grew closer. In 2009, Tony decided to separate from her husband and she was in love with Jared. However, Jared continued to keep the affair going as well as his marriage. What a creep even meeting at the Baden-Clay home on a couple of occasions. And obviously usually it wouldn't be in the home, so usually they would just meet up and have sex in the back of Jared's car. Despite the fact that he was married, Tony thought they had a future together. And that's he must be extremely manipulative because how can you think if you're just seeing a guy and purely just having sex with him in the back of a car and stuff, he must have made her think
2: there was a lot more to this. I think he this. was telling her that yeah. one day they would be together. In 2011, one of Alison's close friends, Wendy, who had heard about what Jared had been up to, told Alison that he was having an affair. You can only imagine how hard this was for Wendy and how devastating for Alison. Soon after that, Alison asked Jared to meet her outside the Indropilli McDonald's in the car park. When they arrived, Jared got into the passenger seat of Alison's car and she asked him straight out, Are you having an affair? He confessed. Alison hopped out of the car and sat down on the curb, understandably needing a breath of fresh air. Alison gave Jared some conditions if he wanted to stay in the marriage. Tony McHugh was to be fired immediately and he was not to see her again. Alison also decided at this point that it was important for her to take up
3: more work at the real estate agency and be more present. And that might have been just because she didn't want him to do it again. So she thought if she was around that maybe it wouldn't happen again. It's just it is really sad. She really should not is. have to worry about that. She also put the condition on him that she would be allowed to check Jared's phone each night to monitor his calls, messages and emails. But as we would later find out, Jared would just delete his indiscretions before handing his phone over. And that's unfortunately you you can you really can that. yeah, that's that was probably never she really She was very
2: trusting. Yeah.
3: I think she believed that he wanted to be a better husband. Yeah. The night that Alison confronted Jared about the affair,
2: he placed a call to Tony and told her, We need to talk. She knows. Tony's employment at Century 21 was ended immediately. And I do feel a bit sorry for her because... Yeah, is he allowed to do that? I mean, he's the married one. He just fires it. That's his own problem. Unfair dismissal. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it actually is. No, it actually is is unfair dismissal. Mm. I mean, she probably didn't take him for that because she was
3: in love with him. But you
2: can't just fire someone... Because you cheated on your own wife. Yeah. Tony... I mean, Tony obviously did do things wrong I know, but but she still can't be fired for that. That's separate. It is... Yeah, okay. She would definitely have had grounds to stand on there. Initially, after telling her it was over, he stopped responding to Tony's texts and calls except to apologise Unfortunately, it seems things between Jared and Alison didn't improve. Poor Alison, who was such a perfectionist, had tried so hard to be everything Jared wanted her to be, and she was broken. Her husband had been unfaithful, and her self-esteem was at an all-time low. Only a couple of months later, Jared Baden-Clay got back in contact with Tony McHugh and asked her to meet him for coffee. He told her that he still loved her and wanted to be with her. He told her, I will be leaving my wife. And when pressed, he gave her a date, the 1st of July, 2012. As we said before, Jared would just delete his contact with Tony from his phone before
3: he handed it over to Alison. He also had a secret email address under the name Bruce Overland. That's... how random is that? Yeah. Alison and Jared did attend counselling with multiple different practitioners in an attempt to save their marriage after the affairs. Obviously, Alison was extremely hurt by what had taken place, but at the same time, she wanted to keep her marriage together and turn things around for the sake of their children. She was extremely lonely and felt like she wasn't good enough for Jared. And finding out about the affair only intensified these feelings.
2: How sad is it? It's it so just sad. sounds
3: like she was living in this yeah, poor thing. Poor thing.
2: During counseling, it was revealed that Alison felt like Jared just wanted her to get over the affair, and that she felt he was partially blaming her for stepping out of their marriage. The counsellor noted that Alison was a conflict avoider who said yes too many times in the relationship. Jared had very high expectations of the girls and Alison who never quite feels good enough. The counsellor also saw Jared, who said, Alison doesn't trust me. She says yes when she means no. I used to blame her for all the disappointments in my life, which is so rude. Like as if it's her fault that eh? he's like a disappointment. How is it her fault that he's a narcissist? It's never their fault. Oh, yeah. When asked what he hoped to get from counselling, he said he wanted to build a future with Alison and get a clean slate. Well, mate. You yeah. can't just get a clean slate. Like, you have to take responsibility for And then actions. work your way back. Yeah. He just thinks that she should just forget it and, like, get over Let's it. Let's move on. No.
3: Alison saw another counsellor just days before she disappeared, and when the counsellor asked her what she wanted from counselling, she said, I want to work on me to sort
2: lots of issues, especially parenting. And for me, that's just the saddest thing because obviously she feels inside herself that she's not a very good parent and that she needs to improve on her parenting. But literally everyone who was asked about her after she disappeared says that she was just the most beautiful mother and that she lived to be a mother. Yeah. So it just really says another thing about her self-esteem and how low she was feeling about herself. And the way she thought she had lots of issues she
3: needed to work on. Really, if she had a supportive partner, this all could have been very different. Exactly. So
2: sad. Thursday the 19th of April 2012 was a day like any other for the Baden-Clay family. Alison dropped the girls off at school. She saw her friend and they discussed putting their names down to work at the Mother's Day stall. She was reportedly happy and was excited that she had a new nephew that had just been born. Her daughters had their cross-country carnival at school, which Jared attended. Alison went to a work meeting at the couple's real estate agency
3: before heading to a hairdresser's appointment at 4pm. Jared picked up the girls from school and dropped them off at his parents' house to have a swim in their pool. He went to the store to get some sausages for dinner. He and the girls then had dinner with his parents and sisters before returning home where
2: Alison was waiting. The couple put their kids to bed by approximately 7pm. They used the counsellor's suggestion that Jared should allow Alison 10 minutes every second night to talk about her feelings around the affair. This should be a time where Jared just listens and lets Alison get everything off her chest. Reportedly, Jared had had enough of this conversation after a while and went off to bed at approximately 10pm, leaving Alison in the lounge room watching the footy show. He reported that he was unaware whether she came to bed later or whether she slept on the couch. He described himself as a heavy sleeper.
3: The next morning, the 20th, as we know, Alison was not there to help her daughters get ready for school. She was missing. After calling triple zero, Jared placed a call to his father, Nigel. He said, Dad, I don't want to alarm you, but have you seen Alison? Constable Kieran Ash was one of the first officers on the scene that morning. He recalls seeing Jared in a business suit when he arrived and noticed on the side of Jared's face were red raised scratch marks. When asked about these, Jared pointed out that he had cut himself shaving that morning because he was rushing to get the girls ready for school and get ready for work. And these marks, have you... You saw them, obviously. They're full
2: on. They're really deep.
3: If you even just Google it, like maybe we'll put it on our Instagram. Yeah, They're... Like, I just don't know how you could have got them shaving. Like, they're thick, (laughs) deep,
2: red scratches. They look like scratches. They look like scratches to me. When he was asked if he could recall anything that may have set Alison off to leave the night before, Jared replied, I don't think so. Another officer in attendance that morning, Senior Constable Simmons, reported that Baden Clay's demeanour that morning was calm and composed. When Alison's parents, Priscilla and Jeff Dickey, were informed that their daughter was missing, they were frantic with worry. Priscilla remembers being shocked that Jared was acting as calm as a cucumber. When they arrived at the Baden Clay residence, Jeff Dickey noticed the scratches on Jared's face and saw Jared's dad Nigel loading the vacuum cleaner into the back of his car, which he thought was strange. That is strange. I think so. So, just in regards to him being
3: calm as well, I know some people see that as really suspicious, but I think in those kind of like initial few hours, and even his triple zero call, obviously in hindsight, knowing exactly what happened, yeah, he's. Yeah, it's not cool, but at that time you can see why he might be calm because yeah. it's just an adult who's gone for a walk and maybe isn't back yet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Jared was taken to the police station and set up for an interview with detectives from the criminal investigation branch. The first thing he said to them was, I should clarify, I cut myself shaving this morning and everybody is saying it looks suspicious. The detective replied, it does. Good call, Detective. One of the detectives suggested that the marks on his face looked like they could be consistent with being scratched, which Jared denied. Jared was also asked about some injuries to his hand, which he replied he obtained when he was helping a friend renovate their house.
2: The officers asked Jared about the state of his marriage. Jared said there was no indication that their marriage was in trouble. Although he did quietly inform them he was having an affair. So clearly your marriage is in trouble, mate. If how is you he
3: saying, affair. yeah, that there was, it wasn't in trouble,
2: but he was having an affair? How? I don't know how you possibly justify yeah. that in your head, but clearly. The detective's just going to be like, okay, mate, like, well, yeah. you're an idiot. Which they did. Yeah. Jared was asked to go to the doctors to have his injuries documented for their record. At 8.30am the next morning on the 21st of April 2012, Jared attended the Kenmore Clinic and saw Dr. Candace Bevan. He showed her the injuries to his face and mentioned multiple times that he had cut himself with a blunt razor. Dr. Bevan remembers he was composed but anxious. Meanwhile, police established a task force
3: and encouraged the community to participate in the search for Allison. They used the Brookfield Sports Club as a command center. While the Dickies and Jared's sister Olivia Walton participated in the searches, Jared Baden Clay remained out of the public eye and appeared to be avoiding the media. SES workers and volunteers, along with Felice, scoured Brookfield for any signs of the missing mother but found nothing. The Dickies were the ones who fronted the media to make a plea for their daughter, and we'll play that now.
2: The public began to wonder why Alison's husband, Jared, wasn't speaking out or getting involved in the search. The media and the public were suspicious, and Jared Baden Clay was being tracked by the media who were trying to get information about him. Eventually, one reporter caught him out when he was in his parents' driveway and managed to get a statement from him. We're going to play this as well. I find it really strange, and so did the media and public. It sounds like he's pretending to cry. And you won't be able to see this listening to the audio, but in the video his sister is actually with him and she actually even looks at him really weirdly Mm. when he's talking because he just sounds so strange. Um, And the reporter that actually conducted that interview like specifically remembers the lack of eye contact and feeling like he wasn't being genuine.
3: Yeah, and obviously you're about to hear it now. But I found it weird as well that he was like, he mentioned about maybe two, obviously you're about to hear it, so I can't remember off the top of my head, but he mentioned about two or three times that, and I've told the police that, yeah. and, and I'm helping the police. Like, yeah, who says trying, that? Oh, like well,
2: Someone that yeah.
3: obviously knows that yeah. they're being targeted. But this comes back to, I remember last week we were talking, like, some people would watch this and just instantly go, it's so him. Yeah. And even, I think this one in particular was really obvious. Yeah. You guys are about to hear it. You can judge for yourself, but it just, yeah, it's obvious that he's not, he's up to no good.
2: We will play that clip for you after this short break.
0: Coming out of his parents' home, the pain and strain of the last five days was clear to see across Gerard Clay's face.
1: I'm trying to look after my children at the moment. They've got three young girls and... We... We really trust that the police are doing everything they can to find my wife, and we just hope that she'll come home soon. I've spoken to the police about everything, and I've had no contact from her at all.
0: Was she upset before she went away?
1: No, and and the police. I've tried to help the police as much as I can, and we all have everything we've got. So, okay. thank you. I'm sorry.
3: On the 21st of April, Jared went to another GP for a second opinion on the scratches. He visited the Turinga Medical Centre at approximately 4pm and saw Dr Renu Kumar. She also assessed the marks on Baden-Clay's face. She thought it was potentially possible the marks were self-inflicted. She couldn't 100% rule out the possibility of scratches being caused by a blunt razor, but she was fairly sure they weren't.
2: And they didn't really look like they were at all? Not at all. On the 22nd of April, Jared was on his way to have more medical testing done when he got into a minor car accident. It was commonly believed that he was trying to disguise his current injuries with some new injuries from the car accident. Which doesn't work. No. And they've already been documented, so. Mm. He eventually made his way to the Royal Brisbane Hospital and was examined by forensic medical officer Dr. Leslie Griffiths. He estimated that Baden-Clay's facial abrasions were around 48 hours old and resembled scratch marks. Oh, wow. He suggested that it was highly unlikely that a blunt razor had caused the abrasions. So
3: was it Baden Clay that claimed the razor was blunt? Like, where's this? Where's the blunt come into I it? I think it was
2: Baden Clay. Okay. He said it was. So at the start, he just said it was razor mm. cuts, and then I think as he sort of realized people weren't believing him, he, he kind of blunt. tried for blunt. Yeah. and – because yeah. I think that. But they actually collected the black razor, and the razor he was using wasn't even blunt. Oh, okay. and there was no blood on it. Oh, so. ah, well there you go. Jared Baden
3: Clay also had some injuries to his chest that some people thought looked like scratch marks. Also, but there is conflicting information on this. There are a couple of witnesses who were with Jared at the cross country race on the nineteenth when he started to pulling at his neck and chest, stating, Oh shit, what was that? Bloody hell, that hurts. It was suggested that maybe a caterpillar bit him, and he ran with this story after Allison went missing. However, experts have confirmed that there are no species of caterpillar in the Brookfield area that could cause a reaction like that. Why would he
2: say caterpillar? Well, I think so, that was actually suggested to him. So at the Brookfield um, cross country, yeah. that actually did happen. Then yes. he was like, oh, shit. Yeah. And there were like witnesses that saw that. And I think a witness actually suggested, oh, maybe it's a caterpillar bite or something like that. And then he kind of just he went with, with that. Yeah.
3: I mean, but like, okay, I get. But of
2: all the insects. Yeah, like that's what I mean. I didn't like, even know caterpillars could bite.
3: Yeah, some do. Like oh. the spitfire caterpillars and stuff. Okay. Like, but ca- like, you'd just say something like a spider. You'd just yeah. go spider. Everyone knows we live in Australia. There's spiders everywhere. Yeah. Like, that's just
2: weird. The Baden-Clay residence was searched and there was no sign of a struggle, blood or a clean-up attempt at the home. The police also couldn't find Alison's mobile phone at the house. When they performed a triangulation search for the phone, it was found to be within a 4km or 2.4 mile radius of the Baden-Clay home, but they couldn't determine an exact location. Police publicly asked people from the community to check their properties for any sign of Alison or her clothing. The community expected that they were no longer looking for Alison alive. On the 30th of April,
3: 2012, a local man, Daniel Joyce, a professor of horticulture, decided to go for a morning kayak. He chose the Brisbane River, which he reports is nice and quiet. It was the first day of his Easter break from teaching. He paddled upstream into a small creek that flows into the Brisbane River, Colo Creek, As he got to the bridge, he noticed something laying beneath
2: it. He thought it looked like a body, and as he got closer, the smell hit him. He recognised the clothes from a mannequin that he had seen around town. He quickly realised that it was the missing woman he had heard about. She lay on the bank of the river wearing three quarter-length tracksuit pants, a blue or purple top, and running shoes. Her top was pulled over her head as if she had been dragged. He quickly headed home to call the police.
3: Officers arrived on scene not long after. The area under the Colo Creek Bridge where the woman was laying was extremely difficult to access. Senior Constable Huth was one of the first on the scene and had to abseil down off the bridge to get to the woman. How did he get her there then? Or she might have floated or something. Or he dropped her off. Ah, sick. Another officer tried to climb down the embankment and actually slipped and dislocated his shoulder in the process. Samples of water, mud, and plants in the area were collected for
2: testing. Forensic pathologist Dr. Nathan Milne attended the crime scene to examine the body. It was consistent with having been there for the 11 days that Alison had been missing. Dr. Milne was unable to determine the cause of death, but he knew it wasn't from natural causes. Her injuries were not consistent with a fall from the bridge. On Tuesday, the 1st of May 2012, police confirmed that the body found at Colo Creek. Was missing mother Alison Baden Clay. There are reports that Jared Baden Clay actually made the application for Alison's life insurance that day. Like oh, the day after Alison was found. What? Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's true, but it's reported. If that's true. Many places. Alarm bells, you're a tosser. Just what? I mean, even if he didn't, he's still a tosser.
3: Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
2: But anyway, just thought I'd add that in there.
3: On the 11th of May, 2012, Alison Baden-Clay was laid to rest at the St. Paul's Anglican Church in Ipswich. Hundreds of mourners showed up to say their goodbyes and pay their respects to the much-loved mother of three. Jared attended with the couple's three daughters. Alison's sister, Vanessa, spoke of Alison at the funeral, and these are some of the words she said. She admired the girls and would do everything for them. She read parenting books, went to seminars, and would stop at nothing to make them the best she could. It was her will to make the world a better place and to make them beautiful people. You have been taken from us far too early, but you will never be forgotten. And they're powerful words.
2: On the 13th of June, 2012, police made an arrest in the murder of Alison Baden Clay. As Jared Baden Clay left his real estate office to pick up his daughters from school, he was arrested and charged for the murder of his wife, as well as being charged with interfering with a corpse. The Baden-Clay's three daughters were taken into police care before being picked up by Alison's mum and dad, Priscilla and Geoff. A statement was also released by Alison's family. We are extremely grateful for the support of the community, the people of Brookfield, the SES and the police who have gone beyond the call of duty. We love Alison and we will always miss her dearly. We have a long road ahead of us coming to terms with this horrific crime. On
3: the 14th of June, 2012, Jared Baden-Clay appeared at the Brisbane Magistrates Court to face his murder charge. Police obtained his DNA and he maintained that he was innocent. The residents of the small community of Brookfield were shocked to hear that such a well-known member of their town had been arrested with the murder of his wife. Jared applied for bail, which was rejected by Justice David Bodis, and I may have said that wrong, due to the high flight risk that he
2: posed. The fight between the prosecution and the defence began before the case got to trial, with Prosecutor Danny Boyle QC making it clear that Baden Clay had strong financial motives for wanting his wife dead. He would benefit significantly from, his, from her life insurance. In addition, the pressure was growing on Jared to leave Alison to make his mistress, Tony McHugh, happy. Baden Clay's barrister pointed out that the prosecution's case was weak and purely circumstantial. Alison's estate was awarded to her parents temporarily, which included her life insurance policy worth almost eight hundred thousand dollars. This would be made permanent if Jared Baden Clay was found guilty of her murder. On the eleventh of march twenty
3: thirteen, Jared Baden Clay's committal hearing commenced in the Supreme Court. His jury was made up of seven men and five women. Jared Baden Clay officially pled not guilty. The trial started with prosecutor Todd Fuller, QC, stating Let me tell you about Alison Baden-Clay. She was 43 years old at the time of her death. She had been married to Mr Baden-Clay for almost 15 years. The prosecution had many witnesses to try and help piece together what had happened to Alison. Fiona White was a resident of Kenmore Hills, which was not far from Colo Creek. On the night that Alison went missing, she heard two loud screams coming from the distance. She believed the screams came from a female and estimated their time between 9 and 10 p.m.
2: Another resident that lived approximately 500 metres from Colo Creek was also called to the witness stand. David Jenkinson was woken up by his dogs barking at approximately 10.30pm the night Allison went missing. He heard two loud, heavy thuds, which he likened to a bag of cement being thrown on the ground. Another witness heard something similar, a scream followed by a dull thud. She likened the sound to a bag of horse feed falling on concrete, which is kind of what makes me think maybe Uh, she was dropped. Yeah. But then having said that, like the medical examiner said she didn't have signs of a fall. He, But maybe she, if she was already passed away. Well, she could also have. It's a, it's a creek, so there's flowing water. So yeah. she could have been
3: carried to that spot as well. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't know, but I'm just, that that's another thing that could have potentially happened. Depends how strong the current is. Like I'm yeah. not sure. There were also sounds heard near the Baden Clay residence. Mrs. Braun of Brookfield Road heard a loud human noise that woke her up from her sleep. She tried to go back to sleep, but was startled again when she heard the sound again. The star witness at the trial was Jared Baden Clay's mistress, Tony McHugh. She detailed her relationship with Jared, explaining that he had always told her his relationship with Allison was all but over. She told the court how Jared kept her on a roller coaster ride, telling her most of the time he was planning to leave Allison and then changing his mind. Yeah, which is what we thought.
2: Yeah. So she was yeah, told he was going to be with her. So basically both women were pretty much treated like crap by Jared. Yeah,
3: absolutely. How does, how did he, if you see him and hear him talk, I don't know how he managed
2: to, to get like, to two,
3: everyone, two, two attractive women
2: who seem, yeah, quite. But I think narcissistic men like that, this is, and women too, narcissistic <laughs> women, they, mm. they've learned to do this over their whole mm. life time. And I'm not just
3: saying, by the way, I'm not just saying because they're attractive, they shouldn't be with him. I'm saying like they're also, they're attractive, they're, they're beautiful, they're smart, they're smart Kind. They're,
2: yeah, kind, well, caring. Alison, I'm not sure about Tony. Yeah,
3: I don't know a whole lot about Tony either. But from the interviews I've seen, she is, she is attractive and she does seem
2: like a nice lady. On April 19th, the day before Alison went missing, Tony McHugh had called Jared in a rage. She had found out that the next day, her and Alison were both attending the same real estate conference and demanded that Jared tell Alison about the affair. She was furious that he had put both her and Alison in that situation. The walls were closing in on Jared Baden Clay. During Tony McHugh's police interviews, she had been very upset to learn that Jared had been having affairs with other women too. Yeah, and
3: you can sort of see from her perspective as well, like she was also being manipulated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She was. Evidence at the trial came out that police had tested the baden Clay's Holden Captiva car for traces of blood. They had found something in the boot of the car. There was a drop of blood that had dripped down the rear door. This was a transfer stain, which is obviously when an item or person with blood on them comes into contact with another surface and the blood transfers.
2: The blood stain could not be dated, but when it was tested, it was found that it did belong to Allison. The extreme nature of the baden Clay's financial situation came out in court too. It was revealed that just before Allison went missing on the twelfth of March, two thousand and twelve, Baden Clay had asked his friend, state MP Bruce Flegg, for a loan of thirty thousand dollars. Apparently, he sounded broken and extremely upset on the phone, stating that he would go bankrupt without it. The financial situation that the family was in was at boiling point, and Jared's wife and mistress were about to be- about to come head to head. His life was falling apart. In an interesting coincidence,
3: state MP Bruce Flegg had also heard a scream the night that Allison went missing. It was approximately 10.52 and he was sure it was a female. He believed the scream sounded like it had come from someone in a reduced state of consciousness. He heard a similar scream shortly after. He found this extremely disturbing at the time and took a mental note of it. Bruce Flegg lived approximately 1.5 kilometres from the Baden Clays across Brookfield Oval. And I was going to say that's a long distance, but sound does carry over like an open space. Yeah, yeah. over an open space.
2: Another witness taking the stand was forensic entomologist Professor James Wallman. He specialised in the examination of insects found at crime scenes. He was called in by the police to assess Alison's time of death. Based on samples of insects found on Alison's body, it was determined that she had been dead for at least eleven days. This was consistent with her passing away the night that she went missing. It was also determined that Alison didn't drown by Dr. Jacob John. When her lungs were examined, it was found that there were no diatomes in her lungs. If she had have drowned in the water of Colo Creek, it would be expected that there would be diatomes in her lung, as in the water of Colo Creek, there are diatomes. And just to confirm, diatomes are a type of algae, if you didn't know. Finally, her toxicology reports were released in court after
3: being held back by police when they were first completed. Her toxicology screen results proved that there was not enough Zolof in her system to be consistent with an overdose, so that theory was ruled out. Botanical specialist Dr. Gordon Geimer became the hero of the trial. He found six different species of plants on Ellison's body. If Ellison had died at Colo Creek by suicide or accident, as the defense was implying, you would expect that all six species of plants should be found in or around Colo Creek. However, only two species were found there. What he did find was that all six species were found at the Baden Clay's house, which heavily implied that Allison had laid on the ground outside her house at night. So, how good is that that it's he so came clever. in? Yeah, there's
2: some really like clever, interesting evidence here. Absolutely. Like a lot of the time, you don't hear these kind yeah. of different. And if they hadn't abused him and brought him in, that is like literally the nail in yeah. the f- like. That is the thing. I that- think that's why he kind of became the hero. Yeah. Like on the Web Sleuths forums, because I did kind of follow this case when mm. it was happening. Everyone was like. So wow. amazing. Yeah. He wowed everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. And good on him. The trial also revealed Alison's turmoil at her husband's affair, as well as the emotional abuse she suffered at his hands. He was the type of husband who seemed to keep her exactly where he wanted her. He would criticise her heavily, as detailed in her journals, with one of the entries being, he laughed at my undies and told me I smelled, which is just really creepy. That's horrible. Like, just as a woman imagining your husband saying something like that to you. anybody. Yeah, just just... gross. Especially because she was just trying so hard to please him. Um, I just feel really sad for her. I remember a quote from her mother, Priscilla, was something along the lines of, she did everything she could for that man, and it's just so true. Yeah. Like, based on all the evidence that we have seen, Nothing she did was good enough for Jared, and he was a bit of a entitled wanker. So
3: there were plenty of motives for Jared to kill Alison, to pay off his almost $1 million debts, as well as to carry out affairs without the pressure of his wife. And so he didn't have to take responsibility for his past indiscretions anymore. On the 15th of July 2014, the jury in the trial of Jared Baden Clay found him guilty of the murder of his wife, Alison Baden Clay. Ellison's family could be heard cheering and shouting yes as the verdict was read. A short break was ordered as Baden-Clay struggled to breathe as the verdict was read out. How good's that? So good.
2: Baden-Clay was sentenced to life for the 2012 murder of his wife. A life sentence in Australia is usually a non-parole period of at least 25 years, which still is not life, which is not long enough. Especially if you, yeah, no. You killed someone. If you did it at 40, that's cool. You're out at 65. Yeah, you can still live a bit of a life. Yeah. Unfortunately, Jared and his team did win an appeal in the Court of Appeal as well, which stated that the death was actually a manslaughter rather than a murder. What? Yeah, so his his um, sentence was reduced, but oh. relievingly, okay. um, the High Court actually eventually overturned the appeal. Good. Good. So the murder charge has been reinstated at this point, okay. as far as I can see. Yeah. So thankfully, he will serve. Hopefully, that life be serving sentence. at least that life sentence, if not.
3: Yeah.
2: Forever, like hopefully, yeah. he just rots in prison.
3: I can't believe it ever went to manslaughter. Yeah. Oh. He
2: must have had a good good yeah. defense team.
3: Yeah. As we know, this sentence doesn't bring Ellison back, and it changes nothing for her family and friends. Ellison sounded like an absolutely amazing and beautiful woman, mother, friend and daughter, and no sentence will take away the unimaginable pain that comes with her loss. Our hearts go out to the family and friends, and we hope that her killer rots in prison for as long as possible. And obviously, like when we say that, like um, obviously the daughters, they didn't only lose their mother, they lost their father father too. And although we've like, we don't like him, we've bagged in the whole podcast but i just sort of i feel for them on
2: both yeah. counts like i don't know and i'm to... sure for them it would never yeah. be pleasant to hear people going oh your dad yeah right. so i know so, that, that was we don't like him yeah and we probably so... haven't come across as very sensitive to him, to him. no but i just that, but our hearts do go out especially to his daughters Definitely. and obviously to allison's family as well
3: yeah that's really it's so so sad thank you guys for tuning in to our episode today of the true crime sisters Um, We hope you join us for some future episodes and obviously if you haven't checked them out already, we've got some past episodes there as well. Um, Until then, please stay safe.